Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachat Shabbat, daf Kuf Nun, 150. The end is nigh. The, we see the rest of Masachat Shabbat in the horizon. And next Sunday, we have the two events of the Siyum to close off Masachat Shabbat. First, with us, our recall of reflection on the whole Masachat with our co-learners. That is at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Israel Time. And then we're going to join with the Hadron crew and a bit later in the day um, at, let's see, at 8.30 Israel Time. And what time is that in Eastern Time, your data? 1.30. I should be able to do that. 1.30 Eastern Time. Um, we're going to open up Masachet Eruvin, even though we will have one more daf of Masachet Shabbat left. We also have one other milestone to note here, which is that as of earlier today, we hit 100,000 listens on this podcast. Thank you for joining us, really. Yeah, Dana, you were going to start with Yeah, a very exciting milestone. Yeah, an exciting milestone. And uh, looking forward to much more learning with everybody. So as we know, the DAF doesn't wait. So let's get straight to it. Um, so I'm going to start with the Mishnah that's on this page. And the Mishnah here is really dealing with, I would say, two issues, somewhat of the continuation of the mission before, which is what are acceptable things for us to sort of talk about or think about on Shabbat? And then the second piece is it spills a little bit over into can you prepare for certain things that you're going to do right after Shabbat? So the mission begins as follows. Lo yischor adam po'alim b'Shabbat. So a person can't hire workers to work for him on Shabbat, right? And there's going to be a question in the Gemara if, this, if we're talking about a non-Jew or a Jew. And a person can't tell another person, his chaver, to hire workers for him. So the other thing, and this we're going to spend a lot of time talking about when we get to Masachat Eruvin, right, that a person can't wait for nightfall. In other words, you can't wait for Shabbat to end on the edge of the Shabbat boundary. So we will spend a lot more time discussing what the tukum is, but essentially on Shabbat, you were only allowed to walk uh, 2,000 amot basically outside of your city under certain circumstances, but you can't walk past the tukum basically. Um, and so a person basically can't get to the tukum and wait just as nightfall is coming, right, in order to leave that boundary right after Shabbat, if it's to hire workers or to bring produce in uh, from his food, from his fruit, sorry, aval from his field. But what is he allowed to do? He can wait until nightfall. In other words, he can wait at the edge of this boundary if it's to guard his produce or if it's to bring produce, um, you know, back in his hand. Um, and then Amar of Shaul, Kol Sha'ani Zakai Ba'amriyato, Rashayani Lahachach Sheikh Alav. So Abba Shaul states a general principle, which basically says anything that I'm allowed to discuss on Shabbat, I'm also permitted to wait until nightfall uh, in order to prepare to do it, right? So you could theoretically carry some fruit in. So therefore, maybe you're allowed to prepare to do that type of thing. But that's the general uh, cloud. If it's something that it was permissible to do on Shabbat, then you would be allowed to do it. Okay, so I want to pick up with the Gemara here. And what the Gemara does with this Mishnah is it tries to figure out 
exactly what case this Mishnah could possibly be talking about. Because when you read the Mishnah, it makes perfect sense, right? And then the Gemara comes and asks strong questions on it that makes it clear that the references that the Gemara, that the Mishnah presumes are maybe not as clear as all that after all. Pshita. The Gemara says, well, that's obvious. Meaning the idea that the Mishnah says you cannot hire workers on Shabbat and you cannot tell somebody else to hire workers for you, meaning, of course you cannot, right? What's the difference between one person doing the malacha and somebody else doing that same malacha? Or, or the prohibition, really, of hiring workers on Shabbat. It's not exactly malacha, but fine. It's still a legitimate prohibition. So, Amar of Papa, Chaver Goy, says, well, maybe he's talking about a, a friend who's a nanju who's going to do this hiring. Matkiv Rav Ashi, Amir Elagoy, Shvut. What do you mean? Talk, telling a non-Jew to do something that's prohibited on Shabbat is also prohibited on Shabbat, right? It's Again, it's not a, it's not a malacha that you're going to be obligated to bring a karban chatat, but it's considered shvut. It's considered something that is a rabbinic prohibition and prohibited on Shabbat. So what is the Mishnah coming to teach when we can so obviously get out of the presumption that you know, the, the, the given that this is what you can do. El Amar of Ashi, so Rav Ashi posits something else. So let's say that we're talking about a Jew talking to another Jew. Right? So then if it's another Jew, he can't say to him, you know, go find me, go hire me workers. Right, you can say it in this like kind of roundabout way. Well, you stand with me like towards the evening, right? The idea, the idea, will, will you be able to join me? Right? It's this very polite manner that's really going to be about hiring workers, right? Everybody knows what the subtext is. So who, and then in that case, if that's what the mission is really saying, then who is this Mishnah, who is, who is it Paskining like? It's passing like Rabbi Yoshua ben Karcha de Tanya because we have a break that says, We have exactly this formulation in a Braita where the where the premise of the Braita is that you can't do that. You can't say it in this roundabout way that everybody understands what you're saying and and isn't that the same thing as saying it straight out? Except for the Rabbi Yoshua ben Karcha says, no, no, you are allowed to say it that way in the roundabout way. Amar Rabbi Barbarchana, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Halacha Rabbi Yoshua ben Karcha. He says, that's the Halacha. We definitely have a paskin like Rabbi Yoshua ben Karcha that you can say it in this roundabout way as long as you're not saying it in a direct way. But Amar Rabbi Barbarchana, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, my time is Rabbi Yoshua ben Karcha. What was his rationale? And the answer is Dichtiv, and he cites this verse this very famous verse from the book of Isaiah from Yeshayahu, which we have talked about already in terms of the, where do we get the prohibition of certain things that are, like we say, they're not really Shabbos deck, right? We don't talk about business on Shabbos and things like that, where you don't have to bring a Korban Chatat. They're not in the list of the Lamatet Malachot, the 39 prohibited labors on Shabbat, but they are still things that we don't do on Shabbat. And it's a book from, it's a verse from Navi, not from the Torah itself, namely, Right, the idea is that you're gonna also from your from your pursuing your business and not speaking of it. Dibor. So then this is where it gets interesting. The Gemara apply, you know, um, 
extrapolates from this verse and says, Dibor, speaking Asur. Because the verse says, Daber Davar, speaking of the thing. So then the inference is that Dibor, speaking, is prohibited. Hirhur, thinking about it, is permitted. And therefore, if you speak in a roundabout manner where you haven't spoken of it directly, you have not violated the concern of speaking. And the fact that you are attesting to what you are thinking about, that's not a problem because of thinking about it is permitted to begin with. Yardina, do you want to chime in at any point here? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing that the Gemara is coming up with because I think that's the essence of this Mishnah in a way. Th- this piece about sort of, you know, there's like a you know, are you allowed to think something? And that's a lot of what the Gemara is going to deal with here, right? Calculations. If you're thinking about something that's a communal need, are those things allowed to be thought about? And we do know that within Jewish law, there definitely is a concept of sort of like controlling thought, right? Like the concept of hirhurim, which would sort of be, you know, some type of sexually inappropriate thought, you know, that we do have to sort of control. But it's interesting to see here that when it comes to Hilchot Shabbos, there's a little bit more room to allow hirhur, uh, to allow thinking for certain types of things. Well, that question that you're raising, you're not saying it as a question, but is exactly where the Gemara goes, right? The Gemara says, one second, you're not allowed to think about things just whatever, whenever. You can't think about Torah in the bathroom, right? Meaning we right. do have constraints on what you can think about. So why would this be something that is permitted, right? And the idea is that that's not, the this issue... For, for all that it's not so Shabbistic, it's not considered unseemly. It's not considered inappropriate. It's just not Shabbistic, right? Which is a whole different kind of question than whether you can think about Torah in the presence of nakedness or feces or whatever else. Right, is- like I think that is, everyone would understand that. Like you shouldn't have in your head, you know, like you're writing out or thinking about something you're learning in the bathroom. But for me, what this brought up is like, I tend to be, I'm a crazy list maker. So like, I always have this thing, like I'll light candles, finally sit down on a Friday and then I'll like, five things will pop in my head of like, oh, these were the things that I wish I had done. And I sometimes do a thing, I make a mnemonic in my head because I can't write it down. So I try to remember. And then this stuff made me think like, am I allowed to make that mnemonic? (laughs) Like, I'll try to come up with something. So I remember right after Shabbos to write down what it was that I forgot to do. Because I, if I don't write it down, I literally do not remember. So I come up with all these things. You could just be me where I come up with all these things on Shabbat and promptly forget them the moment we make Abdullah. I could right. be thinking but, about them all Shabbos and then they're just gone. I just want to exactly. read one, one um, additional passage in the Gemara, which talks about these things that are considered permitted and they're a little bit surprising, some of them. But I part of the reason I want to read them is because um, if anybody's familiar with the Zemmer, the song that we sing at the Shabbat table, Mayididus, um, it is reminiscent. The vocabulary is there, some of it anyway. But I'm a Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani, I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani is our friend already. We've seen him on many passages of Agadah already. And Rabbi Yochanan obviously has already appeared on our daf today already. Hochin letartiot, lekerkasaot, obesilkaot. You can go to this is you can go to theaters and circus performances, right? This is in the era of Rome where they had circuses and courthouses. I guess they were in session and maybe that would be a spectacle, right? Le pakeach al iske rabim b'shabbat. 
You can pay attention to communal needs on Shabbat. This is what you were mentioning before. V'tana de Menashe, Meshadchin alatino kot la'areis b'Shabbat. The house of of Menashe says you can betroth the children, I guess, to to have them be engaged, even if it's on Shabbat. Right. This is the this is what I mean by the language. Right in the song, it's l'shadech habanot. And can you teach the child to be, can you, you can make arrangements to teach some, the child to, to get him a tutor, right? Whether it's a matter of teaching um, skill, um, intellectual pursuits or vocational pursuits. And it's again, it's going to be another interpretation of the same verse, right? It's taking in a slightly different direction. Chafetzecha, meaning pursuing your business would be prohibited. But the moment you have something that's not chafetzecha, it's not your affairs, but you're trying to attend to the affairs of shamayim, and I guess in this case, the affairs of heaven include the affairs of the entire Jewish community, then you can pursue those. So uh, this is not psak, you know, this is, uh, I don't know how many people would say it's okay to go to the circus and Shabbat. There's also all kinds of technicality we're talking about you know, exchange of money and so on. But I find it interesting that in this passage it is presented as permissible um, and specifically in this rationale of what you're doing there is for somehow, you know, for the good of the community at large. Yeah, I also found that passage to be fascinating because it really includes activities that you cannot imagine. First of all, today in any modern context, anybody would say is okay, um, but very, very interesting passage. Um, so I want to move on to two uh, s- small things on Ahmed Bet. The first is one of these like interesting stories that the Gemara always shares, where they want to give an example of something miraculous that happened to show a type of behavior, to encourage people to do a type of behavior. So, um, so it's talking about the piece of the Mishnah where you can't wait for nightfall at the edge of the Tehum to, quarter, to, or, to uh, hire workers or to bring produce in from outside the Tehum right after Shabbat. So there was an incident with a pious man where a breach was made in the fence around his field. So he said, okay, I got to fix my fence. And then he remembered that it was Shabbat. And so what did he do? He didn't fix his fence because it's Shabbat and you shouldn't fix his fence. And so a miracle happened and a caper bush grew in the breach. So therefore it closed up his field so nobody could break into the field. And not only that, from the produce from this breach, from this bush, he got some, you know, parnasa, some livelihood and livelihood from members of his household. Um, So I just think I always like these types of stories. They're very interesting. Like you always wonder like, you, you know, I, I, I always call these sort of like art scroll Judaism stories, you know, where like somebody refrained or was late for something or, you know, something happened and they like sort of were just sort of had this amuna of like, OK, I can't take care of it. It's Shabbos, it's this or that. And they somehow get rewarded, um, you know, tenfold. And I think just even seeing that we sort of have these types of stories that there's a tradition of them in the Gemara is interesting to me. I certainly understand how not everybody loves these types of stories. Um, but it's interesting when the Gemara shares them. I mean, I think the Gemara is making a very beautiful point here. You know, whether you whether you accept that the miracle happened and everything that followed from it, 
And I, I kind of, I would say, well, why not? Like the Gemara is not, doesn't have to um, make it up, right? Why would it bother? I'm willing to accept that all kinds of strange things have happened in this world. And I think that when they work out to point to the betterment of Torah, I can accept that too. And if it didn't really happen, the point I think very much stands. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I, I, I think you're right. So in other words, it's not, if they didn't have the story, it doesn't deflect from the point of the mission at all, but having that story and maybe it's true or not to miraculous things can happen. You know, I, I, I do think there is a type of a Muna that some people have, um, which, you know, which is like, okay, it's going to work out, you know, like I can't do it because it's Shabbos and it will, you know, it will all be okay. Also, we're um, talking about timing okay. here, right? We're not talking about, um, you know, a hand reaching down from the heavens. Correct. Right. That's true. That's true. And I think some of it is sort of viewing like what happened around you. Does that make sense? Like, in other words, it's uh, I'll quote my father again, like it's having your miracle antenna on. You know what I mean? Like that exactly. also happens to another person and they just like, oh, there happens to be a bush here. I didn't notice it. Right. But I think it's also sort of having your miracle antenna on of like that, like, OK, Hashem helped Hashem helped you out. And that's what these types of stories speak to me about. Um, I just want to read the thing at the bottom. Um, which is talking about this piece about what are you allowed to wait for nightfall for? And the Gemara brings up a very interesting point here. The Afagav, the low Abdil, right? So the question they basically ask is, okay, it's good that he's waiting until nightfall, but did he not basically make Abdullah? It's a great question. But I'm a Rabbi Eliezer ben, Antigo, ben Antigonos, Mishum Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, right? So now they're going to quote Rabbi Eliezer ben Antigonos, um, so who I assume is the son of, of Antigonus Yisoho, right? Who we see only really one time in Parak Aleph, uh, Mishnah Gimel of Perke Abos, um, who sent in the name of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, right? That a person basically is not allowed to do his weekday things before he makes Abdullah. So it's like, fine, you can wait by the Tachum, but like you need to make Abdullah there, right? Right. So what could you say? So if you want, you could say this is a case where somebody said Havdalah, right, said the piece, you know, of Havdalah that we say in the Shemona Esrei, right, not doing the, the bracha piece that we make over wine. But Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, right, so Rav Yehuda, didn't Rav Yehuda say in the Marm of Shmuel, right, so they say, yeah, but it doesn't make a difference, even if you just said it on the, in the tefillah, Right, you still have to do it all on the coast. Remember, there was that Gemara and Brachos that talked about that. That depending on how wealthy or not wealthy Bnei Israel was, remember that it went back and forth if you had to do it in Tefillah or on the coast. Right. So then they said, okay, so say maybe he already made Abdullah over the coast. So then they ask a great obvious question: Wait, if he like walked all the way out to the field, remember <laughs> the Tachum's going to be sort of on the outskirts. It's not really near where people live. He had a cup of wine with him, <laughs> right? So then it says, "Me eka targama Rabbi Natan bar Ami kame de Rava bein hagidot shanu." So now they give a crazy answer. I think Rabbi Natan bar Ami explains before Rava this specific halacha. This specific halacha of this mishnah was a unique case where the tachum was near wine presses. So in other words, it was very easy uh, in order to get the the wine. So I just think it's an interesting thing the Gemara does here. Because there's something about this Mishnah that's kind of bothering them. They don't have a good solution for it. And so what do they do? 
they make it the most narrow possible case, pos- you know, that they could think of, that this could only be a case where a person was near the Tehum that also needs a beard near wine that was readily accessible. Personally, the answer I would have given is, is that based on that Gemara that we saw in Brachos, which the Daf is completely eluding me now, I think you see that it changed, right? Sometimes they were saying it in Tefillah, sometimes they were saying it on the coast. So maybe this Mishnah was more reflective of a tradition that it could just be said over in Davening and you didn't actually need the coast. That to me would be sort of the more obvious answer. But here the Gemara tries to really limit it with this very, very limited answer. So that I just wanted to read that part. Um, and then we sort of see, you know, at the end here, Amrle Rabbi Abba Lavavashi, Bama Rabba, Rabbi Abba said in the neighbor of Ashi, right in the West, meaning in Eretz Yisrael, Amrinan Hachi, Amadu bin Kodeshachol. We say Hamadu bin Kodeshachol, right? And once you say that, you could do what you need to do. So this is something that people do today. My kids sometimes take a little bit more liberty than I think they should about like what you could do, where I'm like, you just need to wait for Abdullah. You don't need to turn your phone on yet. But I think the idea is if you can't get to Abdullah and there's something you have to take up very quickly, that's what people do, right? Right? And so Rav Ashi also says he was once in the house of Rav Kahana, who he also heard say this, and then they would cut wood immediately afterwards before they even made Havdalah. So we do see that there is an Amoraic tradition that maybe there was some activity that you could actually do before you actually made Havdalah on the coast itself. Um, <laughs> okay, so with that, we'll end. That's our job for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff um, on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 